of that card, Isaiah 11, um, verses 1 to 10. shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. <coughs> In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Thank you so much, Anna. Do keep that card in front of you. I'm going to talk about that reading for a few minutes before we have our second reading. My name's Morris. I'm one of the leaders here at this church. So, you might know these lines. Um, Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Well, one of the things we have been reading about with our interns who are ministers in training here at Christchurch is what the world was actually like the night before the first Christmas. What world was Jesus Christ, that historical figure, born into? Thank you. What world was Jesus Christ, that historical figure, born into? Well, you may know that Jesus was born into a land ruled by the Roman Empire. Here's what one of their greatest thinkers um, from, from, from the Greek Empire that came before said. Plato said this, Justice consists of the superior ruling over and having more than the inferior. That's what people thought was right in the place and time Jesus was born. We had an event a couple of years ago at our church where we 
had a discussion with people saying, what worldviews do you have? People who aren't Christians. And people came and presented their views to us to see what we would think of them. Um, someone was saying, we need to recover the great thought of Greek thinkers, including Plato. Do we really? Justice consists of the superior ruling over and having more than inferior. Nature, Plato said, teaches us that. Some people are better than others. That's the way the world ran. To us, it's sad. To him, it was natural. It was just. On the night before Christmas then, the land Jesus lived in was occupied by people who believed they had a natural right to rule over and enslave others because they were powerful. No one else had rights. No one else deserved compassion. It was just natural. Just just. Some people were more powerful than others. It was a brutal world. And if you read about Jesus' life, it was clearly the world he lived in. Now today still, there is plenty of that injustice about. There are still plenty of the powerful crushing the powerless in the world, even in that same land where Jesus was born. But in the West, let's call it that, by and large, we judge that as wrong. We hate abusers. We believe in equality and compassion, even if we struggle to practice it. If our leaders don't get it right, they lie that they did get it right. Do you remember uh, Christmas parties? They always make me think of the Downing Street Christmas parties. The secret ones that went on when all of us were trapped in our homes. We didn't get, when that all came to light, anybody coming out and saying, yeah, but we're more powerful than you, so it was all right for us to do it. No, now we know that injustice means equality. Justice means equality. What is just, what is right, has been redefined night before Christmas, even if it's not really practiced. And that social revolution, weirdly, can be traced back to the birth of this peasant baby, Jesus Christ, who was always homeless, who never even wrote a book. So whatever you believe today, that person, Jesus, who was uneducated, who never traveled anywhere near here, that person, Jesus Christ, has radically changed your life. Justice was redefined by Jesus. Well, it was a long night before Christmas, that world, and 700 years before Christmas, a small people group were given this poem that Anna has just read to us. They were surrounded by empires of power, of glory, of strength, crushing weakness, they were experiencing that darkness. This people group had been given a different way to live by their own God. In their land, slaves were supposed to be treated as human. Women were supposed to be treasured and cared for. They were supposed to not harvest their whole fields so the poor would have stuff they could pick up. And their land was redistributed equally every 50 years. That was the law they'd been given, but they never did it. They never have a leader who'd put it into practice. They copied the nations around them. 
And this poem was written into some of their darkest days when they were swamped by the cruel and wicked countries around them. And one of their prophets, Isaiah, gave them that reading we just had read. And can you see it if you've still got it in front of you? It was a poem of hope that someday someone would bring true justice. Now, just to be clear, not the justice of Plato and as nature sees it. True justice as their God defined it. The raising up of the weak and the judging of abusers. They had had a king in the past who'd done a pretty decent job. His name was David and his family was the family of Jesse. But that family tree had been cut down to a stump through bad self-serving decisions. But that's what Isaiah is talking about when he says the stump of Jesse. He says from this family that at the moment looks like nothing, this ruler is going to grow. And there's going to come someone from that family who will really know God, who will really uh, love the God who gave us these laws. That will be on him and in him, so he will always fear and respect what is right. More than that, he will delight and enjoy doing what is right. The essence of the God who gave us those laws to care for the poor, will live in this person, and he will love doing that. If you have little children, which some of us do, you quickly begin to note the difference between someone doing something because they have to and someone doing something because they want to. Making your children say sorry is easy if you're happy to settle for an apology that comes out like it has to be said. Sorry. But now and again, you get a moment where they delight to do what is right. They love to own their wrong and apologise. And Jesus, this person who's predicted, he will always love to do what's right, Isaiah says. He'll never be forced to do what's right. The thing is, the child who always wants to help, who always wants to be sorry, they can look sort of simpering and pathetic. You know, if they win a prize for always being the most helpful to the teacher, you think, okay, you're nice, but you're not cool. But that's not this ruler. He always wants to do what's right, but he's not weak or feeble. He's strong enough to give true judgments. Even his words, Isaiah says, will slay those who want to crush the poor. He will wear righteousness and faithfulness. So you'll just look at him and see those qualities. And remember, it's not natural justice he's bringing, where people know their place, but this God-given justice where decisions are for the poor. All of that will just exude out of him. I think we forget how laughable that picture would have been the night before Christmas. That even nature would have been at peace, and a little child will be the leader of that restored community. Children in the ancient world, the night before Christmas, were valuable if they were belonged to the aristocracy. They were worth nothing, unless they could work for a living beyond that. Another social revolution that Jesus brought, valuing children 
And here, the night 700 years before Christmas, he predicts a children, a child will lead everybody. Now, it's probably obvious to you, seeing as we're a church, that I'm going to claim that Isaiah was talking about Jesus 700 years before his birth. But perhaps that raises a couple of questions, it raises a couple for me. The first is this. If Jesus really is this powerful judging person, the one who can slay the wicked simply by speaking, how is he different from all the other rulers that we've had, the bad ones? We're used to it now, aren't we, with elections. People say to us before the election, I promise you that when I have power, I will do something good with it. I promise you. You can rely on me. Give me the power, good things will happen. Then when they get power, what happens? Seems like they use it for themselves. So will this powerful ruler really be on the side of the poor and the needy? How will he prove that is what he's really like? And here's the second question. If you, if I'm going to say that person predicted as Jesus, why are there still so many bad judgments being made not on the side of the poor and the needy? The world hasn't changed. Governments may be pretending to know better, but they aren't doing a better job. There are many people in our church and sitting here today for whom that is a bitter truth. Yes, there's been a revolution in what we think justice is, but this revolution seems pretty incomplete. So two questions. Will he really be on the side of the poor? And why hasn't he finished the job yet? Well, we're going to have our second reading now. Taylor's going to come and read for us. It's on the other side of your card from Luke's Gospel. And Taylor is going to come and read that for us now. So I'll be reading Luke. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keep and watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favour rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Thank you, Taylor. Now, you'll see this is a different type of reading immediately, as the first verse makes clear. Luke is writing history. No, he locates these real events at a real point in time during a particular census under a particular ruler. And this family have to move for the census, which is where you take, you try and count everybody who's in your country, because they are from the tribe of David. Now, we've been reading Isaiah. As soon as we hear that, our antenna should be moving. This little family has grown out of the stump of Jesse. Scene one just seems like a tragic story. There's no room for them in the inn. Did you notice the innkeeper is an invention of the nativity play? Doesn't even feature in Luke's story, but it's sad. I think he's a good addition. Uh, but anyway, we don't get any scene of them being turned away from the inn. Just we find out there's no room. And so he ends up being put to sleep in a trough used for feeding animals, presumably in a stable. Scene one is just a sad story of a child born into poverty due to the actions of a powerful emperor who doesn't care, a story repeated many times every day around the world because of the exact type of rulers that Isaiah was speaking against. But scene two, opens up a totally different picture. Just for a moment, the curtains to heaven, a whole spiritual world are drawn back and an angel, an angel, a messenger from God announced, this is the promised ruler from Isaiah 11, the Messiah, the Lord, now, if you do, if you are a tender of nativity plays, um, there aren't many angels in nativity plays who would have to say, fear not. You know, it's more like, don't say, oh, because they're so cute. Real angels, it seems, are terrifying. They're always having to tell people not to be scared when they appear. And this terrifying messenger announces the arrival of this great king. And then as if they can't hold their excitement back, a multitude of angels appear, flocking round and singing glory to God. The glory shows this is going to be the ruler who knows God, who has the power to slay the wicked with his mouth. But there is something strange about scene two, isn't there? The glory is shown to shepherds out in their fields at night. Normal people working the night shift. Average. Outsiders. 
poor. Probably, if we looked at their working conditions, we'd consider them exploited. And the sign, maybe if you've heard this reading, uh, and it's become familiar to you, you've heard this reading lots of times, the sign is, is normal to you, but it's very strange, isn't it, to you? He says, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. How would you think you'd finish that sentence? There'll be trumpets. There'll be a royal parade, a street festival, a jubilee concert in the park. This will be the sign. You will find him wrapped in cloth, lying in an animal feeding bowl. That's a sign. But what type of ruler is it pointing to? You see, as Isaiah predicted, Jesus does claim to be the Messiah, the Lord, who has a right to make judgments about everyone. But if he is that God, the real God who made the world, who cares about justice, who gives laws, who's powerful enough that terrifying angels burst across heaven seeing about his birth, it feels unlikely that he would become a human being. Why identify with us? Because he becomes someone there's no room for, treated less than an animal. Because he is saying justice is different now. Why show the glory to the least glorious average Joes? Because when God became a person in history, He's on the side of the people who need help, not the people who have power already. It's shepherds watching over their field, sheep at night who get the announcement. And the sign is that he's in an animal trough. Now, if you were to read the rest of the story of Jesus' life, you'd discover everything that Isaiah said about him is true. He walked with God perfectly. He exuded righteousness and faithfulness. He created communities of peace. And really, he did lead them. He actually went around saying, the only way is to accept the offer that I'm making you like a little child. This is what I love about um, children at Christmas. Adults, when you give them presents, Oh, this there's a whole story here. My mum had a cupboard in her house. She probably still has it, which was the backup present cupboard. Did your mum have one of those? So someone would arrive at the door and say, hey, gee, Merry Christmas, I've bought you a present. And she would look at my dad and say, oh, Jane's present is in the cupboard. And dad would have to run upstairs and find some old scented candle that someone had given mum Christmas's past. She didn't want wrap it quickly, bring it down and say, we picked this just for you. It's what adults are like with gifts, aren't we? Someone gives us a gift, we think, oh, I haven't got you a gift. But let me tell you, with my children on Christmas morning, that will not be the vibe. <laughs> None of them will be opening what we give them on Christmas Day and saying, oh, but Daddy, I haven't bought you anything. It's not what children do. Children are delighted to receive a gift. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, the children are going to lead because that's what you have to do with what I'm giving you. Not pay me back, 
but accept it as a gift. And the community that's formed through Jesus is led by that's really the answer to our first question how do we know that Jesus won't abuse his power because right from the start he landed and chose to land where the poorest people were beneath even normal human beings in an animal's feeding trough but that brings us to our other question why if Jesus brought the rule of justice is the world still so unjust it's great he had this quiet, poor birth, poor birth. It's great it was announced to shepherds, but that's not the way you're going to conquer the world with this just rule. Feels like a very slow dawn. Okay, after 2,000 years, weirdly, strangely, Jesus has redefined even what we think is right and wrong. But the world is still very unjust unfolds on our screens day by day and Christians have and do still play their part in making the world worse not better some of the time why is that well because Jesus said the way he changes the world is by individual people trying to tr coming to trust him Jesus never led an army never founded a university, never set up a media channel. Because he's not changing the world by forcing people to do things. History rolls on, as the carol says, but quietly and gently individuals choose to come and trust Jesus. You see, that's the thing about injustice, isn't it? It always starts with me. I look at people in the world and say they're terribly unjust. I look at myself and think, I'm really quite similar. I just do what I want. Oh, hello. And uh, I might be less powerful than them, so it'll be less damaging what I do. But Jesus does not slay us with his mouth at first. He offers us a chance to own our weakness, to say to him and everyone else, I get this wrong. I need your forgiveness. Owning that you're wrong can be a risky thing to do. If you think people will use it against you. But not if the person is really on our side. Then owning that we get it wrong is easy. And so Jesus is the God who is still alive today. Offering us to come to him for forgiveness for our part of injustice, to welcome us, to learn as children to get his free gift. The call is not simply turn over a new leaf, try to be better. It's not that at all. It's to come to him, admit you're wrong, and ask for help. Because he is for the weak and poor. He will help you if you admit that's what you are. Because he exudes righteousness and justice, he will transform you. If you become a little child, knowing your need, accepting his gift, you'll lead us all to Jesus. Why wouldn't you want to do that? You know, in the carol we're just about to sing, it says these words, No ear may hear his coming, 
but in this world of sin, this is the important bit, where meek souls will receive him. Still, the dear Christ enters in. Own your weakness, Jesus will help you. I guess we could just say it's a fluke of history that this person who never appeared to try to influence anybody, who certainly never got involved in politics, who never did anything that usually noteworthy people do in the world, it could just be a fluke that that person ended up redefining what everybody in the world thinks is right and wrong. Could be a fluke. But it's more likely that he was the person Isaiah said, a ruler sent to bring justice to the poor and to offer everybody a chance to come back to God. In a few minutes, we'll be singing this, these words and you may want to use them as your own prayer. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. Let's take a few moments of quiet just to reflect on what we've heard. Holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord. Emmanuel.